This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our second reading comes from 2 Corinthians, and we'll be using the translation from the message. If I wrote any more on this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. I know you're on board and you're ready to go. I've been bragging about you all through Macedonia province, telling them Achaia province has been ready to go on since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I am sending the brothers to make sure you're ready. As I said, you would be, so my bragging won't turn out to be just so much hot air. If some Macedonians and I happened to drop in on you and found you weren't prepared, we'd all be pretty red-faced, you and us, for acting so sure of ourselves. So make sure there will be no slip-up. I've recruited these brothers as an advanced team to get you and your promised offering all ready before I get there. I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds giving to the needy and reckless abandon. God's right living, right giving ways never run out and never wear out. This most generous God, who gives seed to the farmer and becomes bread for your meals, is more than extravagant with you. God gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offerings to the needy, really toward everyone. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for the gift, God's gift. No language can praise it enough. Holy wisdom, holy word.
Grace, mercy, and peace be yours through Jesus. Amen. Um, 1988, we had the congregation's second capital campaign. I was here about a year. The first capital campaign of, of my life. Capital campaign is raising money, raising capital, fundraising. Um, at that point, we had about 100 people in worship, give or take, and we were worshiping in what is now called room 309 on the other side. Uh, we were, uh, even then, a very young congregation. Uh, a lot of us, like where you are, had kids. We're, we're wanting to raise our children in a community where people took faith seriously. Uh, we wanted to grow as disciples of Jesus, and we wanted to grow the church. We wanted to do all of those things, but we had a pretty significant problem. Um, the problem was that we had $100,000 in debt for that first little wing over there, $100,000. And in 1988, that was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. So we did what most um, suburban professionals do. We decided we'd hire a consultant. And we interviewed six consultants, four of which said, eh, I'm not so sure this is going to work. One said, it's impossible. And we hired the other one. And that person, I recall, saying to us, look, you know, when it comes to church, um, it's not just about money. It's about faith, and it's about generosity and how that connects with faith. I thought of that because um, in that second reading, even from the message, it sounds a little odd to me where uh, Paul is talking to a, another congregation in, in Corinth uh, about a capital campaign that they're having. In this case, they're raising money to feed the poor. And they're doing that in several areas throughout Asia Minor. And Paul says that he's going to send some of the brothers up there to talk to you. Now, if you were raised in Pittsburgh or Youngstown like I was, when someone says, we're sending some brothers to talk to you, um, that, that doesn't sound very churchy. I'm just, just going to be really clear, clear about that. And so my first thought was, well, maybe it's not that. Maybe he's not sending some people up there to twist their arms. Maybe he's just sending a consultant or two to help them. And I think it's pretty clear if you can take it out of um, churchy language. He's not mentioning any words with them. This is basically what he said. You told me that you're ready to have this campaign. And I'm telling everybody that you said you were ready. And we're all getting excited because you're ready. And because you're ready, they're getting ready. And I'm going to come down there. And I'm just getting ready to cash in. And if you're not actually going to put your money where your mouth is, this is going to be really embarrassing. It's going to be embarrassing to us. Now, I think there's a lot of the life of faith that has that kind of component to it. And let's label some of it today. Our first reading, which was from Leviticus, says uh, you should pay a fair wage to those who work for you. You should care for the deaf and the blind, those who are differently able. You should tell the truth in everything that you do. And when you don't do that, let's be honest, it's kind of embarrassing to the church. And it's Jesus in our gospel lesson who says, love your neighbor. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek, pray for those who say nasty things about you, and if you don't do that, it's kind of embarrassing to the church. See, and that's kind of a dichotomy we fall into as Lutherans in particular. Um, we think it's just about believing the right things as if it's all an academic exercise, and you do need to believe the right things, but you also need to do the right things. And this is the trap we've fallen into in the Western Hemisphere. We think that following Jesus means accepting Jesus in our heart 
and therefore we will be saved. And I want you to hear point blank, you're all saved. You're all saved. What Jesus has done on the cross and the resurrection, everybody's saved. Everybody's loved by God. And whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you live it out or not, you're still loved and saved by God. It is about, our task is about trusting that and believing that and following Jesus in that kind of life that isn't worried about having enough or being enough, but knowing that in God's eyes we are enough. So Paul says to them, hey, it's not really about the money. I want to be a little cautious here because anywhere else in your life, if someone says it's not about the money, you should instantly hold on to your wallet. Okay, but Paul, they already know he's asking for their money. That's the point of the conversation. He wants their money. Paul's uh, telling them that it's not just about the money because Paul says that when you share your money, that is when you are generous to others, it's a witness. It's a, it's a message to the world about what you believe and how you think the world is put together and importantly, the God that you believe and that you trust. Generosity then becomes a tangible expression about how good and how loving, how extravagantly gracious, radically inclusive, relentlessly compassionate God is, and we share that by being generous. So, uh, back to 1988, RSI, great, great company, one of the best decisions we ever made. Uh, they grounded this congregation in some what we would call stewardship principles uh, back then. But very simply, the first is the one we just talked about, that you can only give as God has given to you. Everything is in response to God. Uh, you can't give what you don't have any more than you can come back from where you, ha- you haven't been. You can only give as God has given to you. And then because that's true, that we're all going to give differently, each one of us, because we're all blessed differently. We've all received differently. We've received differently about our lives, our lifestyles, our color, our gender. All of that affects how we have been blessed by God. And, and then third is that because that's true that we're all going to do that differently, there still needs to be some way to talk about it so that we get everybody on the same page, that we should be given proportionately, and we should be given response to God, but there has to be some commonality to it. And at Lord of Life, we've, we've settled into uh, time-honored 10-10-80, and I increasingly like to call it share, save, and spend. Uh, The idea is that the first 10%, the first 10% in thanksgiving to God, you give back to God uh, in love to God. And then the second 10% you save. You save for when you're going to need it. I'm going to stop right here for this moment because you wouldn't know this otherwise. Uh, A week ago, and it had been failing, but a week ago, our soundboard went gone, dead. And we were able to go up and buy a new one. And some of our members have been here 30, 40 hours here this last week getting the whole thing installed. And it sounds like a simple thing. You come to church and the sound's on. You can hear everybody, but it's not that simple. And it cost about $16,000. If we had not been saving as a congregation, if we had not been practicing 10, 10, 80, not saving more than 10, just 10, we would have been standing here today saying as loudly as we could, we need your money! And that's exactly what Paul is telling the church in Corinth that we don't want you to fall into. And then the other 80% to learn, and it is learning, to live faithfully and joyfully with what it is that you have after that. What you're going to discover is enough. You're going to have enough. Uh, Paul tells the 
Corinthians that they should think this through. He doesn't want them to rush it through. He doesn't want them to show up in church and some pastor give an emotional appeal and you write a check that day. He wants them to process it and think it through. And he says, but remember, God loves it when the givers delight in their giving. When they've thought it through and they love giving and they love sharing. And I think the word for that is generosity. So RSI taught us that that was going to be the way we would think about the world. We called a campaign upon this rock. Missy Kendall and our congregation on our arts team, I think it was the first arts thing we did. We, um, we went out and we painted a bunch of rocks, black, and we wrote upon them, upon this rock. We wanted to build a church upon the rock of Christ. When you walk back in the education center, even though there are doorstops there, there are two black rocks, those are the rocks. We had 40 of them at one point, uh, and that was a reminder to us what the campaign was go back. Uh, we prayed, and we committed ourselves that we would not have equal gifts, but we would have equal commitments to it, whatever that meant for you and for your household. And this is the testimony I want to give you today, especially if you're new at Lord of Life. We raised $155,000, a lot of money. We raised enough to pay off the debt in a year and a half. We raised enough to hire an architect for the first time. And we raised enough to break ground on what we now call the Community Education Center. Uh, and since that time when it was dedicated in 1995, we, uh, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children and community groups use that space. Uh, we thought the classrooms were big when we built them. We've knocked out the walls to make some of them bigger. We've enlarged the nursery not once, not twice, not three times, but four times trying to keep up with the blessings that God has given us. And I want to say this point blank, that campaign of those who came before you is a brick and mortar example of what generational generosity looks like. But like I said last week, if you were here or listened to it on the podcast, that's not really the story I want to tell you. That, that's just fact, to be honest. Um, we, we had a plan for the capital campaign. We had this consultant said, here's what you're going to do. We get as many people involved as you possibly can. Consultant's name was Jim Runyon. I'll, I'll never forget him. He had this great Southern Baptist Texas kind of sound to his voice. And he pulled me aside and he says, now, Pastor, I want to make sure that you're doing everything you're asking your members to do. And I knew that I had a bit of a problem at that point. And I thank God I realized at that moment that he was absolutely right. And I was going to have to make some difficult decisions about what uh, an equal sacrifice would look like in our house. And let me share where it was at. Both, both of our children at that point were in elementary school. One was eight, one was seven. We had spent every ounce of the savings that we had to make a down payment on a home. Uh, we built a home rather than buy one because you had to put less down to do that. Um, we had to pay what's called private mortgage insurance. Some of you have that, PMI, uh, which means you have to pay more. And brace yourself, the, the interest rate in 1988 was 12.5%. Uh, so our equal sacrifice was going to be a pretty interesting discussion at our house, what that was going to look like. And in order for that to happen, uh, Ann and I would have to break a significant family taboo that we learned from our parents. And we were going to have to talk about money with each other. I'm going to let that sit there because your life isn't that different than mine. We're going to have to talk about money with our family and with our friends 
and we had never done that. Uh, we had to do that for the sake of what we thought was our highest value at the time, which was God's great love for us and for the world. And we were going to have to talk about one of our dirty little secrets, which was we really like money at our house. We like what money does. We like that it buys cars and clothes and insurance. We like that. Um, now, I remember this like it was yesterday. Uh, we were sitting in the living room, all four of us, uh, and Ann, uh, Ann explains what we're going to be doing, boys. Um, Pop's going to share everything about our family's money, and then we're going to pray for a little while, and then we're going to talk about how much we're going to give. And they just shook their heads, kind of like they did when we were going to talk about sex. Uh, and, uh, and then it's my turn, and I go full business school on my children. Full. I mean, money's important. Money's serious. This is an important subject. You got to treat this with a whole kind of different kind of wisdom and knowledge. I go microeconomics on my children. Remember, they're, they're like an elementary school. And I tell them, this is how much money I make. This is how much your mom makes. Yes, your mom makes less money. She works less, but she's a woman. They don't pay women the same. I tell them how much our house costs. I tell them how much the mortgage payment is. I tell them how much the car payment costs. I tell them how much we got on a credit card interest we're paying every month. I'm going to stop there. 10, 10, 80, saving that 10%. And I have not paid interest on a credit card since 1994. It took us a long time to understand the value of saving. Uh, and it makes a big difference. So uh, I'm telling them everything that I think they ought to know about money about why it's really important, why you have to be a good steward, why you have to be a serious manager. I'm showing them pictures and graphs and numbers and all that stuff. You have to be cautious when it comes to money. In other words, I think I was communicating to them that you have to be cheap and stingy. And they listened to all of it. Um, And then we said a prayer. And One of them, with a joy that I will never forget, in the middle of the prayer says, Thank you, God, for making us rich. And I guess I didn't realize I was rich. We made a sacrificial commitment. I'm only sharing this because it's one of the most joyful things that we've ever done. And if you don't know how that translates into joy, I I need to bear witness. Um, We, the four of us, got a family job together. A couple of houses down on this street was an office, and we, we cleaned their office every Saturday. We ran the vacuum, and we emptied the trash, and we got paid a little bit of money, and that was our family commitment because we didn't have any extra money. But we needed to make an equal commitment, we thought, and that was ours. And when we get together as a family, and as my son tells his children about the joyful moments of our life, one of the stories that is told is how we ran the vacuum and took out the trash and our first job together. Um, It is true that sometimes it's a child that leads us. It's true. But I don't think it's supposed to be that way. I I think we're supposed to be leading them. And I think we're supposed to be doing that um, when it comes to the area of money and the area of generosity. Last week I asked a pretty simple question, but it's haunted me all week. I don't know what's done with you, but the question was, what do you want for your kids? What do you want for your grandkids? What do you want for the neighbor kids? What do you want for all the rest of the kids in the world, the kids in this this city? Uh, Isaiah said last week's lesson, choose life so that you and all of your sentences can have life. Um, And so the question for me is, well, what is that life that you want for them? What what is it you want for them? And today I'll just tweak a little bit. It says, what do you want for them when it comes to money? 
Um, and I, I, no one's challenged me on it so far, but talk to me in the narthex. I, I doubt that there is a single person here who would ask, what do you want for your kids, wants them to be raised fearful and frightened and worried and driven and ungrateful, unable to sleep at night for fear about having enough money. I just don't think that's what we want for our children. I think what we want for them is generosity, knowledge of the generosity of God and our call to be generous to others. Um, Here's what my kids taught me in a living room a long time ago. Um, God is very, very generous, very, very generous. And there is life, true life, in being good and being generous to others. Amen.